0: Let's open our Bibles now to the book of Mark, chapter number 4 this morning, Mark chapter 4. Well, springtime is here, which in Georgia means anything goes. But it's the time of year where everybody uh, gets to thinking about uh, their plants and putting in their gardens and all different kinds of things like that, and how many of you are I've already started working on your garden one way or the other. All right. A fair number of you have already started that. I know we've already uh, we put in some uh, sugar snap peas the other week, and we've got those growing. and We've got some other plants that have started inside. And, and uh, you know, it's just fascinating when you think about how God created the world to sustain our lives. Um, I forget who it was. It may have been Paul Harvey that said this from years ago. Uh, but something to the effect of uh, we owe our entire existence to six inches of topsoil and the fact that it rains. You know, the truth is, it's amazing how uh, how God has created the world where uh, through the process of plants growing, our life is sustained, and the, through the seasons changing over and over again, everything uh, continues to move forward and work as God intended it to. And it's just, uh, just a neat. I feel sorry for those um, people who... Uh, stay cooped up in concrete jungles all the time and never get to get out into, uh, into nature or never get to uh, go out and play in the dirt and enjoy the a uh, little farming, a little gardening, a little growing things. Uh, because you learn so much. You learn so much about life and you learn so much about God, really, uh, through creation and interacting with creation that way. And somebody said, again, it may have been Paul Harvey, said when God uh, created man, he created a farmer. And that's, that's what he did. He, uh, he put Adam in the garden and gave him the job of tending the garden. Um, and even before the fall, you understand that man had a job to do. He had to, he had to steward creation, and part of that was tending to the garden. Only sin came and thorns started growing and made it a whole lot harder. And it became then by the sweat of the brow that, uh, that uh, man was to uh, earn his bread, as it were. What does this have to do with the message? Well, Mark chapter 4, we find a series of parables that the Lord Jesus Christ told to help us understand a concept called the kingdom of God. Look at verse number 11 here. He said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all things are done in parables." And there are four different parables in this uh, passage that Jesus used to help us understand what this this kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God in this particular context is is simply a way of saying um, God's rulership in your life. And it's it's roughly equivalent of, of us saying when you get saved... Because when you get saved, the Lord Jesus Christ dwells in your heart. He is your Lord, He is your Master, and you are to obey Him, and you are to do what He tells you to do. And so it's talking about the gospel, and the impact of the gospel, and how the gospel works. And we're going to begin for our text today, skipping down to verse number 21, and uh, read some verses here that, that help us understand how the gospel seed works, He said unto them, verse 21, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And then he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. And he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. And when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And when he said, Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up and becometh greater than all the herbs and shooteth out great branches, so so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word this morning, that we would understand it, and through these parables that illustrate to us the the, uh, truth about the seed of the gospel, I pray that um, we would, as you commanded, that we would take heed to what we hear, we'd pay attention to it, we'd put it into practice in our lives. As we share the seed of the gospel... And as we live the gospel in our lives, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. A parable, someone has defined it as a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus often used parables, as he said in this passage, um, to communicate truth about, uh, about God, about the kingdom of God. And his disciples asked him, why do you use parables? And he said, well, I use parables so that, um, verse 12, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. In other words, Jesus used parables to communicate this truth so that the people who wanted to understand could, but those who were rebellious and did not want to would not. And here in this chapter, he's talking to his disciples and those that were there about the kingdom of God and about the impact of the gospel and how it works. And he likens the gospel itself, the message of the kingdom, if you want to put it that way, to a seed. And I want to show you from this passage three truths about the gospel seed that we need to be aware of, first of all, to make sure that we've received the gospel and we've believed on Christ as our Savior, but also because it will help us as we share the gospel with others. Notice with me, uh, first of all, from uh, verse number 21, He said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear... Let him hear. In this short little parable, which technically has nothing to do with a seed, but rather a candle, he talks about the manifestation of the gospel. So if you're keeping notes, that's number one, the manifestation of the gospel. To manifest something simply means to bring it to light. How is the gospel brought to light? Well, like a candle, the gospel will naturally spread unless it is hindered. So in the illustration of a candle here, uh, we use candles today usually only for special occasions or when the power goes out, right? Uh, Most of the time, we just flip the light switch if we want light. But even if you use the example of a light bulb, if you turn a light bulb on, what's going to happen to the light naturally? It's going to go everywhere, right? How, How can you stop that light you have to put something up to hide it, to, a barrier to prevent that light from going out. Now, there's a couple things about the manifestation of the gospel that we need to understand. First of all, that the manifestation of the gospel is just a natural thing that should occur in the common course of events. In other words, if someone knows the gospel, has heard and accepted the gospel, it is only natural for them to want to share that message with others. It's amazing to me that when somebody gets saved uh, after having heard the gospel, they trust Christ as their Savior, almost every time there is immediately a desire to let someone else know. There's just a natural want to want to give that message to others. But see, as time goes on, our tendency is to lose our enthusiasm and to begin to hide that light under a bushel. Jesus used similar language over in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light so shine before men, he said, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Even to our little uh, preschoolers, we teach them the truth. In the song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. The gospel, the natural response to it is to share it, to bring it to light for other people, to let that light shine. Now, I believe there's a tie-in back to the first parable that Jesus told in our passage here, which we did not read yet, but if we go back to verse number 14, Jesus tells the parable of the sower, the seed, and the soil. He says, the sower soweth the word. By by the way, he's giving the interpretation here for sake of time. We won't read all the way from the beginning. But the sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan doth, cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake. Immediately they are offended, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. In the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. You're most likely familiar with this parable, but in the parable Jesus told, A sower went forth to sow the seed. You know, right there we have an illustration of the manifestation of the gospel. Just to review, why does a farmer farm? Because he's a farmer. If he doesn't, if he doesn't farm, then he doesn't, Then he's not a farmer. It's just what he does. So why does a sower sow seed? Because that's what he does. It's just natural. It's what he does. If he didn't do that, he wouldn't be that thing, right? And it, as a farmer, you're not going to get a good crop if you never plant any seed. And so naturally, he goes out and he sows the seed. Where does he sow the seed? Well, it's not in the barn. It's not in his living room. It's out in the field. So he goes out and he sows the seed. And Jesus in this parable is emphasizing the four different kinds of soil that that seed might fall on. There's first of all the hard soil. All right. This is the, the soil that's by the wayside. This is the, the, uh, the roadside, if you will. The, the, the ground is packed down hard and the seed can't get down into the dirt. And uh, not long after, here comes a bird and uh, the bird takes the seed and eats it and it's gone. It never sprouts, it never grows, it never brings forth fruit. Then you have, secondly, the hasty soil. This is the kind of a, probably a, a kind of around the edges of the uh, of the field. Uh, maybe a little bit of dirt's been kicked up, but it's not really been worked very well, so it doesn't have a lot of depth to it. And so the seed may spring up very quickly, but as soon as the heat of the day and the sun gets on it, uh, it just dries it up and it withers away. And then you have the stony ground, or we might call it the hindered ground. Uh, or rather the, uh, uh, the, yeah, the thorny ground is what I'm trying to say. Uh, that's the hindered soil. So this is the, the seed grows up, but there's all a bunch of weeds in it. And if you've ever gardened, you know what weeds do, right? They choke out your garden. I used, I always joke, if you want a really good, uh, lawn of grass, plant a garden. You'll have grass everywhere, right? Uh, the weeds just love to choke out the good, good, uh, uh, plants. So you have the hasty soil, the hard soil, the hindered soil, but then you have the healthy soil. These are the plants that grow up and they've got depth of root and they can endure the heat and they grow and they're healthy and they multiply abundantly. And Jesus uses this to illustrate the different responses to the gospel. Look at verse number 24 now. Jesus says unto them, Take heed what ye hear. In other words, he says, you better pay attention to what I'm telling you. You better pay attention to the message of the gospel. You see, there's all different ways that people respond to the gospel message. And it's important, first of all, for us, that we make sure that we have responded properly to the gospel message. We want to be that healthy soil that receives the message of the gospel, that believes in Jesus Christ, but then also goes on to live a fruitful life. Getting saved and trusting Christ as your Savior is of eternal importance. And it is also important that once you're saved that you go on to live a fruitful life. In John chapter 15, Jesus said... So shall my Father bring, uh, be glorified that ye bring forth much fruit. We are supposed to be fruitful Christians. That's what we want to be. So it's important for us, first of all, and we think about them, how the gospel was manifested to each of us individually to consider how have I responded to it. There are a lot of Christians that fall in the category of the hindered soil. They're in the thorny ground. All right, the seeds sprouted. They accepted Christ as their Savior. They have some measure of depth in Christ. There's some growth there. The, the, the plant has begun to grow, but they're being choked out by the cares of this world. Worldliness and entertainment and the pursuit of money and all kinds of worldly things, things that just pertain to this life, are preventing them from being fruitful Christians. It doesn't mean they're not saved. They're still saved and on their way to heaven, but they're not living a fruitful Christian life. And there are a lot of people that are content just to let the weeds choke them. We need to make sure that we pull those weeds out of our life, whatever it might be that's hindering us from growing to be a fruitful Christian. Maybe there's some entertainments we need to give up. Maybe there's some pursuits, some hobbies, or some of the goals in our life may not line up with what God wants us to be doing Sometimes you gotta weed the garden. Weeding a garden is so important because if you don't, bugs can come in. It'll take the nutrients, the moisture, and even the sunlight that the good plants need. So you gotta get out there and you pull the weeds. Pulling weeds is hard work. And here's the thing about weeds the longer you let them grow, the harder they are to pull. You get out there when it's just a little bitty thing, not a big deal to pull it up. You let it, you let that rag wheat get two, three feet tall. Now, all of a sudden, it's got a taproot that goes to China. you got to pull the weeds. you got to do the hard work. you got to get those things out of your life and keep them out of your life if you're going to live a fruitful Christian life. See, we need to take heed of how we hear it. That's helpful for us individually, personally. But then also, we need to remember this when we're sharing the gospel with others. Here's the thing. Not everyone is going to respond to the gospel the same way. But you know what the sower does? Still sows the seed. The job of the sower is to get the seed out there. Now we pray for and we work for the healthy soil. But we also understand that some of the seed is going to fall on hard ground. Some of it is going to th- fall on stony ground. Some of it is going to f- fall on thorny ground. And we just need to understand that. And not get discouraged when some of the seed that is sown never brings forth fruit. Because the gospel still needs to be manifested. So we need to be careful how we hear it. And we need to be careful as we share it to at least pay attention and understand. And when we are led by the Lord to share the gospel with someone, and we see that God's giving us the healthy soil that we're working with here, we need to latch on to that. You know, the farmer doesn't waste his time trying to till up the roadbed. He focuses his efforts on that soil that's going to bring forth fruit. And that's not to say that we ignore one group or certain people over others, but it is to say this, that when God is working in someone's life, we should not take that for granted. We should make sure that we give our efforts and our energy to help that seed, to help that plant grow into fruitfulness. I really think that's a picture of discipleship. You know, we forget sometimes that the Great Commission is not just to preach the gospel. But what did Jesus say? He said, Teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. The Great Commission is not just handing out one track, or not just leading someone to Christ and and being there while they say the sinner's prayer, quote unquote. No, the Great Commission really only starts there. From there, we then teach them how to be a follower of Christ, how to obey what Christ has said, how to do what God has has told them to do, how to be what God wants them to be. It's helping that that healthy uh, uh, that that seed in the healthy soil grow, so that it can be fruitful. The manifestation of the gospel is our responsibility, those of us who know Christ as our Savior, to sow the seed, to share the message of the gospel. But then, secondly, here, there's the truth of the mystery of the gospel. Verse 26, here's another short parable that Jesus told. He said that the kingdom of God is as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring up and grow up. Notice this phrase in verse 27 He knoweth not how. He knoweth not how. How does a little, hard, round, yellow thing grow to be a tall stalk of corn? with two, three, or four ears of corn on it. How does that happen? You say, well, God made it that way. Good answer. But how? (laughs) How does it happen? You know, and with our modern technology and science today, we can explain a lot about how a seed germinates. And it's really a fascinating uh, study to study how seeds work. So a seed has all the potential for a healthy, mature plant built into it, programmed into it in the DNA of that seed. And in that seed, you have several different parts. You have a a little part that will become the roots, another part that will become the stem and the leaves, and another part that, that feeds it initially before it's big enough to make its own food with the sunlight. And then you have a coating on the seed, and you have all of these basic parts, and you put it in the ground. And in order for that seed to sprout... The conditions have to be right. Two things it needs more than anything else. It needs moisture and it needs oxygen. It needs air in order to be able to sprout. But you put that seed in the ground and unless something's wrong with the seed or unless something hinders that seed, what is naturally going to happen? It's going to sprout. It's going to germinate. And scientists can watch this happen and we can study it in our homeschool courses and do our little books about it and all this sort of stuff. And we can, you know, watch that pinto bean sprout into a plant and see the roots and all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, there comes a point where we just have to say, I don't know how it works, it just works. Why does the seed do that? Because God made it that way. God, uh, this, the, the evolutionist. Who doesn't believe in God would say, "Well, it just evolved that way. That information just evolved there." Look, if there's information, somebody had to put it there. This is how it works. All right, God put that information in that at creation. And Jesus said, "The gospels the same way. The gospels the same way." You know, God has given us a big picture in the Bible about how the gospel works. We know the Holy Spirit is involved. We know that the Word of God is involved. We'll talk about those in just a minute. And and we can acknowledge in our head, these are the parts and this is how it works. But at the end of the day, there comes a point where we just have to say, it's just a God thing. It's just what God does. It's just how He does it. Well, how does God take a person who is a sinner who doesn't even think they need a Savior, and bring them to a point of decision, and and through the gospel message, they trust Christ, and now, though they were bound for hell, they have a home for heaven eternity. How does God do that? There's an element of it that's just a mystery. And that should not cause us to shy away from sharing the message, or embracing the message, but rather it should cause us to glorify God and say, I don't get it, but that's what He does. And I praise him for it. The fact that I don't understand it just proves that God's a whole lot smarter than me. And aren't you glad of that? Because if God wasn't any smarter than me, you'd be in bad shape. <laughs> Jesus here talks about this man who sows seed in the ground. And he just goes about his business. Day and night he gets up and he go, you know, goes to sleep, gets up in the morning, goes to work. And sure enough, a few days later, here there's little green things all over his field. He just lets them do what they do. He does His job, but God is the one who's sovereign over it all and brings that seed out of the ground. It turns into the plant, and eventually it will become a mature plant. And when it's time to harvest, in verse 29, the farmer will go out there and harvest it. And you know, the farmer has a lot of work to do to get that plant to that point, but at the end of it all, if it weren't for God, it would never be a harvest. And really, that's the point, the mystery of the gospel, that if it weren't for God, there would never be a harvest. Our, kind of our theme verses for this year remind us of this, that it is God that giveth the increased. We may water, we may sow, but ultimately it's God who does the work. I mentioned a minute ago that in the natural world, a seed requires two basic elements. First of all, there has to be water. There has to be moisture involved because the chemical processes that go on inside a seed to, to grow and make the changes require water. So there has to be moisture involved. And then there has to be air. There has to be oxygen also for these chemical reactions. So when you're looking at it, uh, that physical seed from a scientific standpoint, these things have to be present. I think God put an illustration of the gospel in that for us. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, the Bible talks about the water of the word. In order for for the gospel to germinate, it has to be given through the word of God. No one has ever yet been saved apart from receiving the truth of the gospel as it is shared in Scripture. I don't mean to say that they had to have a good King James on their knee when they prayed in order to get saved. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this, that unless someone delivered the message of the gospel as it is revealed in scripture to them, then they were not saved. There is no salvation apart from the truth of God's word being delivered, has to be delivered in some form or fashion. Again, this is not to get too hung up on particulars. It could have been in the form of a track. It could have been verbally that somebody shared the truth with them as it is revealed in Scripture. That person may not have even quoted Scripture word for word, but the truth had to be given. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And then secondly, what does a seed need? It needs air. Well, when it comes to salvation, there's a very important aspect of it that we cannot forget. Turn to John chapter 3. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ must be delivered in order for someone to be saved. But then there's something else that has to happen. And that is the Holy Spirit must work in that person's life. Without the Holy Spirit convicting a person, they cannot even understand the gospel, much less receive it. Notice verse number 7 of John chapter 3 which Brother Duke did a wonderful job preaching on this passage on Wednesday night. Notice what verse 7 says, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Jesus here is describing how the Holy Spirit works in a person's life to bring them to a point of salvation. He says, look at the wind, or better yet, don't look at it because you can't see it. Did you know you cannot see, with a naked eye, the wind? You say, well, yeah, I, we had a storm the other day and I saw limbs flying across the yard. You saw the limbs. You saw the raindrops. You saw the leaves. But you did not see the wind itself. You didn't see the air molecules, the oxygen, the nitrogen, the carbon dioxide, whatever else. You didn't see that unless you've got... Superman vision, right? What you saw was the effects. You ever wonder why meteorologists consistently are wrong? I think, God, I think God just laughs sometimes when he hears a meteorologist giving the forecast. Now, obviously, they've gotten much better than they used to be. You know, they get pretty close, but sometimes it's like 100% chance of rain. You look outside and it's not a cloud in the sky, bright and sunny, and it's like, yep, miss that one. Even with all of our technology today, we still have a hard time predicting where the wind is going to go. And that's the Holy Spirit's working. It's a mystery. How does He work in a person's life to bring them to that point of salvation? We are never going to fully understand it. What a blessing it is when we get glimpses of it sometimes and we hear stories of people's salvation and God did this in their life and God did that in their life and God did this in their life and eventually led to them being saved. And you just have to step back and say, wow, God is amazing God to do all of that. But there's a mystery involved here that we cannot forget that it is not our working and our doing and our intelligence and our persuasion and our reasoning that's going to work in a person's life God may use those things but ultimately it is the holy spirit who works to bring a person to the point of salvation so we have the the manifestation of the gospel we have the mystery of the gospel it requires the scripture it requires the spirit of god to bring a person to the Point of salvation, but then number three, we have a parable here that illustrates the magnitude of the gospel. Back in Mark chapter four, in verse number thirty, he said, "Whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God, or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, a grain of mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed before? As we said growing up, it's t ninety. little bitty thing." Not very big. There are much bigger seeds. All right? You compare mustard seed to a coconut. You yeah. know? Very, very tiny. But what happens when you plant this mustard seed? It grows into a big plant. A plant so large that other uh, that animals come and, and make their homes in it. Birds come and they lodge in the branches of it and under the shadow of it. You take this little tiny thing... But it turns into something huge that has a big impact. We could, To bring it here to Georgia, we could say an acorn. You compare the mass of an acorn to an oak tree. It is insignificant in comparison. But all of the potential for the mighty oak is found in that little acorn. And then Jesus said the gospel is the same way. You think about the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel is the message that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again to offer us eternal life. And if you believe in him, you are saved. That is so simple. It's so simple, in fact, that many people refuse to accept it. They say, no, it can't be that easy. If there's a God, and we have offended this mighty God, the creator of all that is, and He has declared that we deserve to spend eternity separated from Him in hell, enduring punishment and torment by fire, if it's really that bad, then there has to be something much more dramatic to fix the problem. It can't be that simple. We have to... We have to work for it. We have to earn it. We've got to join this religious group. We've got to go through this particular ritual. We've got to dedicate years of our life to these things in order to be able to be saved from our sin. To the world, the message of the gospel is so insignificant that they refuse to accept it sometimes, many times. And Jesus' point here is this. That while the message of the gospel may seem insignificant, when it's accepted, it changes everything. That's just the start. Because from there it grows and eventually it becomes a large scale system, if you will, in your life that encompasses everything. When you think about the message of the gospel, understand it is not just something to believe one time, but you believe it and then you live it. It changes not only your present when you accept it, but it changes your eternal future. And you might say this way, it even changes your past, at least your perspective of it. When you look back and you see all of these things in your life that God has done, the gospel changes everything. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. The word translated new creature in that verse, it, we get our English word metamorphosis from it. You know what metamorphosis is? It's been a long time since some of you were in the school. I, I, you may be a little foggy on it. I, I understand. Now, metamorphosis is that process where the where the icky caterpillar turns into the beautiful butterfly. So you take the life stages of a caterpillar. It starts... Uh, we'll use an example of a of a butterfly so it starts as an egg it becomes the larva which is the caterpillar right and then eventually it will turn into a chrysalis it makes the shell around itself and a few weeks later or however long it might be depending on its species this beautiful butterfly emerges you think about the amazing transformation that takes place if you put a butterfly next to a caterpillar would you if you had no other knowledge would you say oh that's the same bug no I heard one one science teacher put it this way. It's like pushing an old Ford truck into your garage and three weeks later a brand new airplane comes out. It's that dramatic of a transformation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. The gospel changes everything in a person's life. It touches every aspect of our life. When the gospel is received, its impact is eternal. It changes everything. Don't discount the power of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Have you ever really thought about that? Think about it. When you say, how powerful is God? Can we even define that? God is so powerful... That in the beginning, He said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke the universe into existence. That's how powerful He is. We see illustrations all throughout the Bible, both Old Testament and New the power of God revealed in miracles and different things like that. But God has condensed it all down into the message of the gospel and said that the message of the gospel itself, though it may seem insignificant, it is the power of God unto salvation. I think we fail sometimes, maybe many times, in our efforts to win the lost because we forget where the power is. power is not in you or me. The power is not in the polished presentation, the organized systems and programs that we put together. We, we want to give a presentation that doesn't hinder the gospel, absolutely. We want to be organized to the best of our ability and be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that lieth within us. But ultimately, the power is in the message itself. When we go out relying on our own tactics and our own ability and our own persuasion and our our own charisma trying to win people, we fail. And a lot of damage has been done when people have gone out relying on their own charisma and persuasion and have gotten people to repeat words as if they meant them and as if they were praying them to God and said, well, another person got saved because they said this series of words. A lot of damage has been done with that kind of soul winning because it was reliant upon the power of man instead of relying upon the power of God. The power is in the message itself. Listen, that gives us confidence that, hey, when I go out to share the message of the gospel. It's not up to me to make that person believe. My responsibility is to sow or to water as the case may be and then let God give the increase. Lord willing, in a couple weeks, I'm going to throw some grass seed out in my yard. I have a a little bit of yard and a whole lot of mud right now. I'd rather more grass because Caleb loves to cut grass, right? So here's my plan. Sometime end of this month, 1st of, of May, I'm going I'm to go over my yard with an aerator, get it ready, probably try to flatten out some places. I've got some low spots, some high spots, still working on that. And then I'm going to uh, take my spreader dump a bunch of seed in it, and then run over the whole yard with the spreader and cast that seed out. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to get out there and I'm going to get down on the ground, that first seed, and I'm going to say, now you better sprout. I'm telling you, if you don't, I'm going to be upset. Then I'm going to go to the next one, I'm going to do the same thing. And then this one over here, I'm going to say, you know what, you need a little more water. And I'm going to take a little dropper and I'm going to put a little more drop of water on that. And I'm going to go to the next seed and I'm going to say, you know what, uh, you, you need a little more nitrogen. So I'm going to take a little dropper. And put you think I'm going to do that over my whole yard? No telling how many tens of thousands of seeds that I will have scattered all over my yard. And you think I'm going to be out there with every single one of them stressing over whether or not. I say, what are you getting at, preacher? What I'm trying to say is this. We have a responsibility. all right. If I want grass in my yard, i got to put some seed out. i got to do something. Or else I'm just going to have a bunch of weeds and mud. I have some responsibility. But ultimately, whether or not those seeds sprout and whether or not it grows into grass, I'm dependent on the Lord who created that seed to do what it will do For that seed to grow. And the gospel is much the same. We have the responsibility to get it out there. And we want to work hard. We want to cultivate. We want to tend the soil. We want to do our best to make sure that we're putting it out properly. But ultimately, it's up to God. And the reason it is that way is so that God gets all the glory for it. If anyone is ever saved, it's not because of anything I've done or anything you've done. It's because of what God has done. I think about the one who was saved this week in our revival. It's such a beautiful illustration of this. Every one of you who prayed for our revival meeting had a part in it had a part in her coming to know Christ. Every one of you who passed out or mailed out an invitation, you had a part in it. Even if the person that you invited or you mailed it to didn't come, you still had a part. Those of you who came and attended and were faithful to the services, participated, and you received a blessing from the Word of God yourself, but you also had a part in someone else coming to know Christ. And God used us. But you know who ultimately did the work and saved that soul? God Almighty. He is the one who gets all the glory. See, the gospel seed, designed by God, so that when we give it out, when we manifest it, God works in people's hearts. And they're saved. And it has an an eternal impact. So let's be faithful to do our part and give God the glory for the results. With heads bowed and eyes closed this afternoon. You know, prior to our revival meeting, I had only had brief discussions about things with Brother Duke and I had never... And I never do this with our guest speakers. I don't tell them, you know, I would like for you to preach on this from this passage or anything like that. But he felt led directly of the Lord to emphasize to us the importance of soul winning throughout our revival meeting. God saw fit to bless that, working in our hearts and encouraging us that we need to be more faithful in giving out the gospel. And I guess this morning, I just want to encourage us. As we've seen this week, the gospel still works. I'm asked occasionally, Pastor, why don't we see people get saved like we used to? And if I'm being honest, the answer has to be, I don't think we are sharing the message like we used to. Because the gospel still works. God still works. And if we will sow the seed, God will use that and souls will be saved. Perhaps you're here today and there's a particular soul on your heart. Someone you're praying for. Because you know they need to be saved. Why don't you go to God during this invitation time and pray specifically for them now. And ask God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Maybe for the first time or maybe again. Maybe you just have a burden in general for For our church and for our community that we, we do more to reach the community with the gospel.